Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, a podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. Now this is a very exciting episode because I have been talking to Dr John Z. Kiss, a space botanist who has conducted eight experiments in microgravity. Using the model plant Arabidopsis, Dr Kiss explores how plants respond to environmental stimuli such as gravity and light. Last year he and his collaborators were honoured with NASA's Group Achievement Award for Outstanding Contributions to Enabling Exploration for their collaboration with the European Space Agency on the Seedling Growth 3 project. I am really grateful to John for taking the time to tell us a little bit about his work and how he became a plant-based biologist, and why astronauts love plant experiments. Hello John, welcome to Gardeners of the Galaxy, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's, It's really great to be here, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and I appreciate your interest in space botany. (laughs) Thank you. So if we can just jump right in at the beginning, you were lucky enough, I know, to watch the moon landing as a child, and you credit that event with kickstarting your love of space. But how did you get interested in botany? Yes, that's a really good question. And I think my story is a little bit different than than most people. Um, When I was uh, a young child, my mother was very interested in houseplants, and I would say she had a real green thumb. So she was really good at growing plants and propagating plants and giving them to her friends and relatives. My interest developed when I was at college as an undergraduate. I developed an interest in phycology or algology. I had a professor that I did independent research with on algae. And when I went to grad school, I ended up working on euglena, which is a photosynthetic protist or alga. And since I was in a program of botany and plant physiology, my interest in plants really developed, I would say, when I was a graduate student. And then my postdoctoral research is when I started working with NASA on ground-based research and kind of combining the, the botany and the plant biology. That's fantastic that you were able to do that. That's such a niche career. Um, So I think you describe yourself as a plant-based biologist. How would you describe your job to somebody that you meet at a party? Well, if we take a step back, at the moment, I also serve as the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at our university, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And I'm a professor of biology. I'm a botanist. Uh, I believe that someone in my role as Dean should actually serve as a role model for for faculty. So even as dean, I've been trying to maintain a reasonably active research program. But in terms of uh, space biology, I would say space biology and space biologists study how space flight affects living systems, whether they're plants, animals, microbes, they're all very interesting. But another part of space biology is that it gives us an opportunity to use the unique spaceflight or microgravity environment to discover new things about fundamental biology. And I'll give you a non-plant example that's pretty well known. So in terms of uh, human medicine, 
there's a lot of interest in spaceflight because osteoporosis and the loss of bone density is greatly accelerated microgravity. So doing space biology, and in that case, space medicine, will give us some insights into a problem on Earth, which is a problem as we have an increasingly aging population. And I've also done that in terms of my research with plants, I believe. Okay, so people see astronauts on the International Space Station eating lettuce that they've grown in space, and, and that's an easy enough thing to understand. But as you say, your work is in sort of fundamental plant science. Why is it important to carry on that research in space? Well, first of all, let's talk about long-term goals here. So I think a long-term goal of plant space biology and the reason that NASA and the European Space Agency is very interested in fundamental plant science is because of the use of plants in what I would call bioregenerative life support systems. So basically, put it another way, plants are going to be really important in terms of food and and oxygen. And there's also psychological benefits of having plants for the astronauts. And this is going to be really important on longer-term missions, uh, longer-term space missions, missions to Mars. The plant I work with is called Arabidopsis, and it's it's a model plant, and it's a small weed in the mustard family. It has really no agricultural economic value. People would say it has limited aesthetic value, but <laughs> but nevertheless, I think um, it's a flowering plant. So what we learn about Arabidopsis actually could be applied to flowering plants. And even though I do this basic fundamental research, I think in the long term, it could be applied to things like greenhouses on Mars or uh, a small greenhouse on a spacecraft. And there's also Earth benefits for this. One could view the spaceflight environment as a very stressful environment for plants. And what we learn about how plants respond to uh, a stressful environment in microgravity could be applicable to agriculture on Earth. Okay. So can you tell me what the first space plant experiment was that you worked on? Yeah, the first experiment we worked on was called Plastid. Plastid was an experiment that was a joint project between NASA and the European Space Agency, and it also involved the Russian Space Agency. In that project, I studied gravitropism, how plants perceive and respond to gravity. I mean, typically on Earth, roots grow down and shoots grow up. So in that project, we we looked at the starch statolith hypothesis, which states that these dense movable particles in the roots and the shoots are responsible for gravity perception. And ironically, we took away gravity and microgravity, but we had a centrifuge on board the facility. And the facility was designed by the European Space Agency. It was called BioRack. And with the centrifuge, we were able to add pulses of gravity. And our data strongly supported the starch statolith hypothesis. Okay. So, I mean, you've been lucky enough to work with both NASA and the European Space Agency, and you mentioned the Russian Space Agency as, as well there. What can you tell us about the importance of international cooperation in space research? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's really um, very important. 
And we have this international space station and the biggest partners are NASA and the Russian space agency, but the European space agency is involved. So uh, I was really fortunate because that very first project plastid and I have to say it was strictly accidental. It was a, a opportunity that uh, I applied for and the space shuttle was docking to the former Russian space station Mir. They had this extra space available for the bio rack lab. But it, it was really fascinating because um, it really allowed me to work with scientists and engineers, both on the American side and, and the European side. And in fact, the astronauts who did that first project, there were three astronauts that worked on it. One was an American, uh, Ed Liu. One was a Russian cosmonaut, Elena Kondakova. And the, the third person was uh, a European astronaut, um, Jean-Francois Clevois. And, you know, the it's very expensive to do these kinds of projects and to have space flight, although the cost is coming down, it's still very expensive. So the idea of pooling resources among all these agencies is, is really great. But it's also, I think, you know, culturally, it's just really interesting to meet people from different countries and people with different ideas. So in this last project, for instance, in the seedling growth project, uh, we had scientists and engineers on the NASA side from several NASA centers, from Ames Research Center, Kennedy Space Center, Marshall Space Center, Johnson Space Center. On the European side, we had people from Spain, France, Norway, Germany, and the Netherlands. So it's been really a, a remarkable journey. And it's it, it's just really enriched my life in, in many ways. And not only my life, uh, the life of all of my, my students who've worked on these projects have had an opportunity to interact with people from uh, mainly throughout Europe and the United States. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, so you mentioned seedling growth there, which is one of your more recent experiments or series of experiments. And you learned something really remarkable during that about how plants respond differently to light at different levels of gravity. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah, my original work was focusing on gravity perception mechanisms. And as of late, I'm interested in phototropism. So directed growth in response to light, something that's very familiar to all of us. So for instance, if you have a house plant, you know, you know it tends to grow toward light and you have to rotate this around and that's phototropism and plants have really interesting mechanisms to sense light. I was particularly interested in the interaction between light and gravity because there's a lot of environmental cues but light and gravity in general are, are the most important. Well in general they're very important but in particular for plant directionality. So the question I asked was what levels of gravity would attenuate the light or the phototropic response? Yeah. And we worked on, again, this is also a cooperation. So it was the um, European Space Agency lab facility on the International Space Station called the EMCS, the European Modular Cultivation System, which is a lab that's really geared for plant biology. Anyway, there was a centrifuge on board so it turns out we could simulate, we could do the experiment in microgravity, we could do a 1G 
control, but we could also have a continuum of gravity. In that continuum of gravity, we had the moon and Mars levels. What's interesting is we actually know a lot about plants and microgravity. Plants were part of the earliest Soviet American NASA missions. We don't know that much about plants at reduced gravity levels. So on the moon, the moon gravity level is one sixth Earth G and the Mars level is three eighths Earth G. So it's, it's less. And the remarkable thing is that in terms of this light response, the level on the moon was similar to the microgravity level. The level on Mars, the, the response on Mars was very similar to the Earth level. So essentially for the parameter we studied, the Earth and Mars were the same and the moon was different. Now, if you extrapolate those results out, and again, for the parameters we looked at, what that means is in terms of gravity, the gravity levels on Mars are sufficient for plant growth. However, the gravity levels on the moon are going to be different, and there might be some problems or adjustments we have to make, for instance, for greenhouses on the moon. And I think that's a really pretty cool discovery. It's limited, you know, I'm a scientist, so I want to clarify this. It's limited to the parameters we studied. And there's a lot of problems, you know, of growing plants on on Mars. Uh, the main one is radiation. And if you look at the good science fiction novels, which make interesting predictions, they have greenhouses growing and the settlements underground because of the high levels of radiation on Mars. So there's there's lots of problems. But the gravity per se will not be a problem based on our results to date. That's really exciting. So thank you for sharing that with us. So my last question is, uh, takes us off your research a little bit and uh, is a question that I'm going to ask all of the guests on the show. If you were going to be joining a colony on Moon or Mars and you could only take one plant with you personally, what would you choose and why? That's a really uh, fun question. and. Um, <laughs> been thinking about that a little bit. So before I answer that, let me take a step back. So generally, when we think of plants on these space missions, we really think of them for the food and the oxygen. Yeah. Uh, however, I, I am convinced that there are tremendous psychological benefits of having plants. Yeah. And I actually believe you might have talked about that in one of your previous podcasts. I did do a little bit about houseplants in space. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really touched on on the psychological benefits of, of that specifically yet. Did you mention space zucchini? <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead and tell that story. Well, uh, well the space zucchini was um, one of the astronauts, uh, Don Pettit. He had some zucchini seeds that were left over. I don't know if it was from lunch or from an experiment. <laughs> And he, he grew this plant hydroponically. Uh, I heard him give a lecture on this. He spent six months on the space station and the plant became his pet. He just carried it around. And during the time of my first experiments in 1997, there was this terrible accident on Mir where there was a depressurization. Yeah. And I had a colleague, uh, my experiments weren't affected, but a colleague had an experiment and um, I thought her experiment was gone, but she said that 
the astronauts, while they were fighting for survival, they chose to do the plant experiments. Astronauts love doing plant experiments. And I've talked with several astronauts and they really enjoy them. Because if you think about even on the ISS, they're in this kind of sterile environment, big aluminum can, however you want to think about it. So the plants are a real connection to Earth. And of course, when we get further out, it becomes more important. So all this is leading up. The plant <laughs> I am picking, I am assuming, is not going to be used for food. I assume I'm going to have no, food. It's, it's your pet plant. <laughs> yeah. I picked, I'm going to pick a jade plant. Oh, and exciting. The reason for that is, um, well, first of all, in general, you could neglect jade plants. They're succulents. <laughs> yeah. So um, you can neglect them a little bit and they'll thrive. The other thing, and again, go, this is going back to my mother, is jade plants are really great for propagation, as you may know. Ah, yeah. So I could um, propagate more jade plants and swap with my crew members yeah. for candy bars or whatever <laughs> they have in their secret private stash. Uh -huh. So um, <laughs> I'm going to pick a jade plant. That's very sensible, yeah. Well, the, the only thing I'm a little concerned, I have to have a pretty good, I'm assuming I have a pretty good light source from yeah. from LEDs, uh, which are becoming more powerful every day and yeah. with less uh, power. They're powerful in terms of generating light, but fewer electrical power requirements. I like this idea of uh, sort of plant propagation as, as like internal currency. I think you're really onto a winner there. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to be the most popular person in the colony. Yeah. Who's the guy who helps you technically who, who does that? My husband, Ryan, <laughs> the voice of mission. He's Control. funny. <laughs> he is funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell him that you said that. <laughs> well, that is fantastic, John. Thank you for sharing some of your research with us and your fantasy space plant. And good luck with your ongoing research. Thank you very much. Thanks again to John for taking the time to be on the show. I'm sure you'd like to know more about his work, so I will put lots of links in the show notes for you. That's all we've got time for in the free version of the show. If you sign up as a Patreon supporter, you'll have access to an extended episode with all of the latest space gardening news. For those of you who are in a position to support the show financially, I have set up three levels of support on Patreon. $4 a month will help me pay for the things the show needs, which includes hosting and equipment costs. The higher levels of support will allow me to spend more time on the show. So for $7 a month you'll get extended episodes, which will have extra content and longer interviews. And for $13 a month you'll also get extra bonus episodes. If you're based in the UK or in Europe, then Patreon lets you pay in your local currency. If you'd prefer to make a one-off donation, then I have a virtual tip jar on the sidebar of my website, which is theunconventionalgardener.com. That's where you'll find the show notes, lots more information on growing plants on Earth and beyond, and how to connect with the show on Twitter and Facebook. If you're enjoying Gardeners of the Galaxy, then please take a moment to like, retweet or share the link so that we can grow our space gardener community. And you can always leave a nice comment on my blog, which gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We're confirming termination of your signal. The Grand Control team would like you to rerun the radish cropping experiment. Apparently there was a bit of a mix-up with the samples you sent down and the technicians had them for lunch. They did say to tell you they were very tasty. Mission Control out. <laughs>